Welcome back to another week of the JRM Sydney podcast. We hope as you listen into the word today that you will be inspired and empowered and that your eyes will be open to something new. God bless always. So, if you are ready now, pull out your Bibles and your pens and notebooks or maybe you're using your phone through our online service, everyone here. I'm so glad that the worship team and the platform team are here to help me out preach. I'm going through something, but that's a secret that only we know in this room. But please help me out. Those of you who are online, uh, joining us online, I need your help. (laughs) I also have here in front of me my phone so that I know who's with us as I preach. And I'm reading your comments. So that will be an encouragement for me personally as I preach, knowing that you understand what I'm saying and you're catching what the Lord wants you to receive. Amen? Uh, All right. So let's just honor. I just want to really appreciate our platform team, our worship team who are here. Can you give yourselves a round of applause? You know, as I've said (laughs) earlier, it could have been safer if you stayed home, but you went still for the mission that God wants us to do this morning. And just like in Hebrews 10.39, which says, we are not among those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are among those who move forward and press on with faith, of course, being cautious, but not anxious. Amen? So, hey, JRM Sydney, fear is not your friend. Anxiety is never your friend, so don't live in fear, amen? Always fix your eyes on the Lord and believe His promises. Of course, being cautious, but never anxious, amen? Can you say to the person next to you, cautious, but not anxious? Amen, amen. All right, so today we are uh, in the second to the last of our installment of our series, Kings and Prophets, all right? So, if you can hear me clearly, you who are at home and joining us online, can you type in on your comments section the theme of our uh, series this past two months? Kings and Prophets. Amen. Type it in. I will see it here in the comments if you are actually hearing me clearly. Amen. So, today I want to share with you uh, a king named King Josiah. For some of you, he might be a familiar name. And for some of you, it might be, uh, you know, an unfamiliar name and you don't really know his story. So let me just give you a bit of a background in the context to this king we call uh, King Josiah. Now, let me remind you that in the Old Testament, these stories have been written. And in the New Testament, in Romans 15 verse 4, it actually says there that these stories that have been given to us from the Old Testament were written before so that we will have instruction and that through our endurance and through the encouragement they give, we may have hope. These stories were written so that we can have hope and in these instructions, we might have encouragement. Amen? Amen. So uh, we have been looking at the kings of the northern kingdom in the past two weeks. And now we're continuing with the king, uh, Josiah, of the southern kingdom now. And last week, Ate Hazel gave us a wonderful, you know, powerful message on King Manasseh. Now, guess what? King Manasseh is the grandfather of King Josiah. 
And we will be seeing here in the next slide a, an illustration. I don't know if you online people can see this uh, you know, uh, illustration here, but that's basically just a list of all our kings and prophets. Now, there are 22 in total from the time of King David. This is basically the line, the bloodline of King David. So King Josiah, we will talk about later, is the great, 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 great grandson of uh, King uh, David. It spans to about 340 years from the time of King David to the time of King Josiah. Imagine that, 340 years. Now, if you're going to look at this, I'm, I'm, uh, the next illustration shows us the last eight uh, kings of the southern kingdom before its final fall into the hands of the Babylonian Empire. So you can see there that uh, we talked about King Hezekiah, if you can remember uh, Jerry's preaching a few weeks ago, and then King Hezekiah uh, passed on the mantle to Manasseh, that was Ati Hazel's preaching last week, and then uh, Manasseh had a son, Ammon, and that would be the next king after he dies. And Ammon, Ammon only rules for two years compared to Manasseh's 55-year reign. And Ammon is the father of who we are going to talk about today, King Josiah. Now, let me just give you a quick uh, insight into this. Look at this lineage right here. King Hezekiah, as we know, is a good king, correct? But he begot a very wicked king. He was a very good king, and then his son, who took the kingship after him, was a very one of the, the in fact, the most wicked king, as we've learned last week. And look at this: uh, Manasseh begot Ammon, which is also a wicked king. Imagine Ammon and your brothers and sisters being burned to sacrifice to be sacrificed to the gods. Wouldn't you be a wicked king of serving your father do that? Now, Ammon was also a wicked king, but Ammon, the wicked king, produces, you know, Josiah was a good king. Did you get that? A good king has a son who, when he grows up, becomes wicked. And then here comes Ammon, a wicked king, who had a son who, when he grows up, becomes a good king. Have you ever asked that question sometimes when you observe it in our lifetime now? You know, some parents beat themselves up and then, you know, kind of filled with guilt and condemnation, thinking that, you know, why did my son or why did my daughter become like this? I've done everything I can do. I've been a good parent, but my son or my daughter hasn't turned out good. Hey. And also you will observe, even in our generation, that even though, you know, you've met some really, really good and they turned out well, they turned out okay, but their parents were so, you know, irresponsible or wicked or they came from a, you know, a housing project where their parents are drug, drug addicts or drug pushers or something like that. But then the child becomes a good person. There is a mystery to that, isn't it? There is a mystery to that. Now, let's look further into the life of this king. Um, when King Manasseh dies, this, as I've said, King Ammon inherits the throne and reigns wickedly for only two years. Why? Because 
the servants or the officials in the palace plotted to kill King Ammon. Now, and that left the uh, Judah having no king because its king, King Ammon, was murdered. It was left with an eight-year-old boy to take on to take on the kingship of Judah. Uh, you heard me correctly. It was an eight-year-old boy, the youngest king who ever reigned in any kingdom in all of humanity. You know, eight years old. Can all the eight years old stand up <laughs> or raise your hand in your homes? If you have, you're sitting beside your eight-year-old or nine-year-old or ten-year-old or seven-year-old child. We have here DJ. DJ, can you wave your hand? You're nine-year-old, I know. Yes, you're nine. Yeah. So Josiah was eight when he became king of Israel. Now, DJ, DJ, listen to me. Um, DJ, imagine if you at your age becomes the prime minister of Australia. Can you do that? Can you do that? That was where King Josiah finds himself. He is becoming a king at that age. And you can imagine, not just the age, but the conditions and the situation of Judah at that time. If you can remember how Manasseh, you know, wickedly, murderously, and foolishly uh, brought the kingdom spiraling down. So the nation of Judah at this point in time, in the time of Josiah, was at the brink of collapse. It is on the economic crisis, it is on political crisis, it is on uh, power crisis, it is on every form of crisis it can get. And these problems are inherited by an eight-year-old child who needs to turn the situation around. Imagine if you become prime minister or president in a time such as coronavirus pandemic. Who would wish that they are prime minister or president at a time like this. It's not just a health crisis, it's an economic crisis, it's a governmental crisis, it is a human resource crisis, it's everything else, right? This is the situation where Josiah finds himself. And at a very young age, we can find a lesson in the life of Josiah because among all the kings written in our Bibles, Josiah, the authors, gave a considerably lengthy account of his life which tells us that we can learn something very valuable in the life of this king. His account, parallel accounts is found in 2 Kings 22, chapter 22 and 23 and 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and 35. But today let's focus on 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. Let's read on. If you have your Bibles beside you, church, Open it up to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, and we'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 4. It says here, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. Did you catch that? Eight years old, and then 31 years of reign. So in total, he lived 39 years, correct? So quite young. He did, in verse 2 it says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, 
not turning aside to the right or to the left. Now, remember this verse. We'll come back to it later. And then it says in verse 3, in the eighth year of his reign, so he was 16 years old, right? On the eighth year of his reign, so he was eight year old, years old, and then after eight years, what he did was, while he was still young, he began to seek God, the God of his father, David. When he was 16 years old, he thought, you know what? I can't run this kingdom on my own. I need to seek the Lord. Right? So teenagers, those of you who are 16, 15, 17, 18, this is for you. Listen very carefully. <laughs> All right? <laughs> yeah, so Dan, how, are, how old are you now, Dan? You're 14, so two years short, but you're already there. <laughs> All right, so let's continue on reading. In his 12th year, so 12th year means 20 years old, right? The 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. This he broke into pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Now, look at this. If you are King Josiah growing up in a, uh, you know, a palace, in, in a kingdom, ruled by two wicked predecessors before you, Manasseh, who in the accounts we have heard last week, murdered his own children and not just murdered his own children but in the account of Manasseh it says that he shed innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood from one end to another that's how insane this king was right and then growing up with a father Ammon who was also wicked who was full of hatred with his grandfather and was also ruining the nation of Israel. If you are this king, Josiah, if you are that boy, Josiah, what would have run in your mind? Now, some of you, church, and those who are joining us from other parts of the world, Philippines or something, you might, you might have a dysfunctional family. You might find yourself growing up into, you know, asking yourself, why am I in this family? Why is this family so dysfunctional, so broken, so, uh, you know, damaged? But this is an encouragement for each and every one of you. Josiah grew up in no worse scenario than you can ever grow up in. And yet, he still chose to do the right thing. Your limitation is not your environment. Your limitation is your mindset. Same as your limitation is not your age, your limitation is your mindset. Whatever environment you grow up in, this story proves to us that you can rise above any external circumstances you find yourself in. We can easily blame our surroundings. We can easily blame our parents. Oh, it's because my parents are like this. That's why I became like this. Oh, it's because my, uh, you know, my, my, my community is like this. That's why I became like this. But no, Josiah did not play the blame game. He rose above 
every limitation and every negativity that he found himself in. Your future is not on somebody else's hands. Your, your future is firstly on God's hands and secondly in your hands. Amen? Amen? Alright, so let's continue reading. Now, with this scenario of every crisis that Josiah had in this position, you would, might think that, okay, some of the advisors might have advised Josiah, you know what, Josiah, uh, create an edict or an order, an, uh, an ordinance to raise a strong army because the Assyrian Empire and the Egyptian armies and the Babylonian rising up at this point are on uh, on the edge of your nation, getting ready to uh, to captivate you or to destroy that nation or taking captive that nation, just like uh, what happened to Israel. By the time that Josiah is alive and became king, the northern kingdom is no more. They're obliterated. They're already taken captive uh, by the Assyrian Empire and there are only remnants remaining in some of the tribes there. Now, that's the situation where Josiah... The advisors could have thought, you know what, Josiah, uh, impose uh, super high taxation to all the nation's citizens so that you will amass wealth and gold so that you can make this nation rich again. The advisors could have thought, Josiah, you know what, Josiah, build and fortify the walls, make strong towers, and all these, uh, you know, achievements that your forefathers did to show the world that this uh, kingdom and this nation is very strong. And Josiah could have listened to all these advisors, but only he didn't. Josiah raised no army, he had no great military exploits, he had no amazing building projects. But what he did was to set his heart to seek the Lord and wholeheartedly devote his life to serving Him. All else is secondary. He knew what was primary. He knew what his priority was. So I, I guess that's a challenge already for each and every one of you. When you think that what you need is what you need, then I guess you're looking at the wrong place because your primary need is what you th what you is not what you think you need. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Your primary need is the presence of the Lord, Amen. and in the story of Josiah, it proved to be the case. Amen. Now, if you look at the example of Josiah giving God his wholehearted devotion, the key word is wholehearted. That means they're wholehearted, single-minded in its pursuit with no reservations, no compromises, and no excuses. Josiah decided that when I give my life, dedication, and commitment to the Lord, it will be wholehearted because God refuses half-heartedness. It will be without reservation. It is the exact opposite of the half-hearted version of Christianity that we find all around us nowadays. What do I mean by this? Dr. D.A. Carson gives a comment on one of the articles of Christianity Today, and I just want to read this um, very observable quotation that he said. He said, we drift toward compromise, talking about Christians today. 
We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch in prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. There are so many lukewarm Christians in our generation. Don't be one of them. There are so many lukewarm Christians in our generation and don't be one of them. Again, I'll tell you, you can always find reasons. You can always find excuses. You can always find reservations why you can't obey the Lord and why you can't give God your best. But that's remaining as an excuse. Because if a person, a Christian, wants to give the Lord his wholehearted devotion, devotion, wholehearted uh, passion and service unto the Lord, then that means no reservation, no excuses, no justifications. Amen? Amen. Let's be like Josiah. Josiah in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 25, it says there, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses? Look at this. I am always fascinated whenever I read characters in the Old Testament who devoted themselves wholeheartedly to God and obeyed Him fully without the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Are you getting me? In the Old Testament, the characters are empowered by the Holy Spirit, yes, but the Holy Spirit was not yet dwelling inside of them. The Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit goes according to the mission that they have to accomplish. That's why David prayed that prayer in Psalm 51, Let not your spirit depart from me. Because at the time of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was not yet indwelling because Jesus has not died yet. But now we are in a new covenant relationship with God wherein God has promised that everyone and anyone who receives the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior inherits what? The greatest treasure of heaven, the Holy Spirit Himself dwelling inside of us to help us and provide for us everything we need for godliness and for serving the Lord. I am fascinated every time I read characters in the Old Testament and I am challenged that, Lord, these people did not have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and yet, just like Josiah, it says there, they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, it says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to show Himself strong for those whose hearts are completely His. I do believe that during this pandemic, in our coronavirus situation, the eyes of the Lord are moving to and fro all over the earth. If this is a test, then let's be tested. If the eyes of the Lord move and scale towards your heart, Will he find a heart that is fully his? I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about a state of commitment. That I am the Lord's and nothing 
can shake me away from Him. Amen? Are you following me? Are you following me? Are you listening? Church, if you are online joining us, you know, don't be shy to comment. I can see some of your comments here. I really appreciate you joining us and engaging actively in this wholeheartedly. <laughs> can you type it in your comments? Wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. Amen? Now, God found Josiah's heart similar to that passage that we've read, that his heart is completely his. Now, we can ask that question. How did Josiah do it? How did Josiah do it? And let's go back to the verses we've read earlier. I just want to share seven points today. And this is where we are going to close as well. The first thing that Josiah did in, uh, uh, as number one is he resolved to seek God. Again, he resolved to seek God. In verse 3, it says, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. At 16 years old, we, 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 hear, we, we see here, like, look, he sat on the throne at 8 years old. And perhaps within that 8-year mark, before he turned 16 years old, he was just overwhelmed. He didn't know what to do. He's just listening from one advice to another, and conflicting advice of many advisors and priests and all that. But then at 16 years old, he decides, you know what? I'm going to seek the Lord. Young people, hey, young people, listen to me. Freedom Gen. Imitate Josiah. Whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever situation you find yourself in, God will always prove himself to you if you begin to seek him. I started seeking the Lord at 13 years old. I became a Christian when I was 13 years old. I was not actively seeking the Lord, but my sister brought me to a youth camp and God touched me there. He showed himself to me there and I knew at that point God is real. And if God is real and he is the most powerful and the most important being of all, then I must follow him. I must pursue him. I must seek him. Young people, I'll say that again. Your age is not your limitation. God can use anyone. Whatever age they are in. But what God is looking for are hearts seeking Him. Not perfect hearts, but hearts longing to be used by Him. Some, some, some 16 years old in our generation now, some 16 years old are chasing after uh, pleasure. Chasing after approval of their peers. Chasing after fame in their school, achievements, and they're not bad. Some people are chasing, you know, to be famous in YouTube and be a blogger and all that stuff. And they're not bad, but they're earthly only. They're earthbound. They're earthbound. And after those things are over, nothing is left behind. No legacy to continue on. But as a young person, if you begin to build... On the conviction of seeking God, starting now. Starting now. Don't be a young person who says, Oh, I'm too young for these Christian things. I'll just, you know, play around and whatever. And when I'm, I get old, then I'll take this Christian thing seriously. You don't know if you're going to get old. No one has been promised tomorrow. No one has been promised 
The best decision you can do as a young person. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, remember your creator in the days that you are young. Don't wait until your age is old and then you will look back in your life and say, oh, I have wasted the years of my life. My best years are yes, my better years, I never ever regretted that I started serving the Lord in my teenage years. God is going to set your future up. You don't have to struggle about it if you put Him first. Young people here, are you hearing me? You are capable of so much more. You are capable of so much more than just wasting your time on things that doesn't count. Start to spend and invest your time on things that will build you up. Not just entertain you. Things that will build you up. Uh, Vine, if you're watching, I believe in you. I believe in you. Even if sometimes you're afraid of me. <laughs> no, he's just joking. But I love Vine. And all the youth. And all the freedom gen. Woohoo! Shout out. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Can we give the Lord the best hands of praise? He resolved to seek God. Number two, at 20 years old, he purged all forms of idolatry and immorality. Now, this is the case. When the kings of Israel uh, take the throne, as we all know, some of them were wicked, some of them were good, some, were them, some of them were completely good, because some of them were only kind of half good. Why? Because they would acknowledge God, Yahweh, some of these kings, six of them in, in, to be exact, they would acknowledge God, Yahweh, but they would not remove the idols in the high places. Because why? They're afraid that their alliances with other nations will detach themselves from them. And that's a compromise. And that's the thing that makes separate, separates Josiah from the rest of them. Because at 20, uh, at, at, at 20 years old, he completely abolished all the idols, destroyed them, and even described here as he powdered all the idols. None remaining. He didn't care if all the alliances that his forefathers had, you know, break away from him, from his kingdom. Because, you know what the Bible says? I will trust in the Lord God alone. Uh, some trusts in chariots, some trusts in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Where is your trust? In your jobs? With the economic crisis right, happening right now, a lot of people have lost their jobs. If you anchor your future on your jobs, then good luck with that. I'm not saying that you're, you know, let go of your job, whatever. No, I'm not saying that, but don't anchor your trust on things that are fleeting. Everything is fleeting in this world. Only one thing is steady and established and will not be shaken. And it is God. Your relationship with God has to be priority. Amen? Purged all forms of idolatry and immorality. It's this like this. Josiah decided in his heart and in his life, no other gods shall take any fraction of the throne of the Lord Yahweh. No other idols will take any space in my life. There are many Christians today 
that yes, they prayed the repentance prayer, but there are still some idols hidden somewhere in the corners of their hearts. It will destroy you. Little by little. If you don't surrender it to the Lord. Ask the Lord to search your heart, my friend, and seek out any idols that are still there and completely surrender your life to God. Josiah made this resolve. Now, number three is that he restored the temple. In verse 8, it says there, in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, again, to purify the land and the temple, that is a statement of causality, right? To purify the land and the temple, what did he do? He sent Shaphan to repair the temple of the Lord his God. He knew that to completely purify the land, he had to repair the temple. Josiah had a heart set on building or rebuilding the house of God. In our generation today, if the church will not be strong, we are, uh, what do you call this? We are the, you know, when, when, when enemies attack uh, a kingdom or a nation, we are the frontliners so that they will not penetrate the land. Immoral, so that immorality will not penetrate the land. So that, you know, decay, moral decay will not penetrate the land. And every time you see a nation fall, spiraling down on moral decay and immorality, the church there is not doing its job. Are you following me? Josiah knew this. The house of God takes priority. The house of God takes priority at every stage. Look at this. At every stage, this is the 18th year of Josiah's reign. So 8 plus 18, he's by now 24 years old. Now, look at this. At every stage of his life, elementary years, primary school, primary school years, he began seeking the Lord. And then high school, he began removing the idols. High school! Removing the, the, the idols and defying the other kings of other nations. At 20 years old, he completed it. Six years. It took six years for Josiah to completely cleanse not just the southern kingdom, but also parts of the northern kingdom because this, during this time, northern kingdom is no more. They are in, uh, with, uh, captivated by Assyrian empire, but there are remnants there. So it says there, you know, all his young life, he did something that was good. And this is the where the rubber meets the, the road. Number four, if you're following me. He led, uh, so number five, but this is also important. Number four, he led God's people to unity and faithfulness to the Lord. I'll just summarize this verse here. So basically, he, he mobilized the people of Israel, not just people of Israel, but the remnants of the northern kingdom and gathered uh, contributions for the rebuilding of the temple, for the repair, repair of the temple. And you will not find any here uh, in these passages that the people complained or they rebelled against him or just like Manasseh, he commanded something but the people did not really completely obey him because Josiah has proven his integrity and his uh, leadership at a very young age, the people obeyed him. 
And he, they, they, they knew that what Josiah was fighting for was for their good. And look at verse 12. It says there, the workers. Now, all these workers are, you know, builders, masons, plumbers, artists, musicians, musicians, Levites, so all these people uh, put all their skills together to build the house of God. Does it sound familiar? In our present day church, we need all sorts of skill to build the house of God. We need audio men, we need technicians, we need worship leaders, musicians, we need people who are strong to carry the chairs and set it up. We need in our upcoming building in Preston's, we need people who, who are skilled in carpentry and all that stuff to be able to build what God wants us to build and with unity and faithfulness to the Lord. It says in verse 12, the workers labored faithfully. They were just following the example of their king. Are you still with me? Yeah. Number six, he revered and obeyed God's word. Now I want to really dwell in here. Uh, while they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law. Now look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. <laughs> this is important. Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Now, here's the thing. After many years of wicked reign of the previous fathers of Josiah, the book of the law was lost. Their version of the Bible. They didn't have, obviously, the Bible that we have now. But the law of Moses, this is the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The way that they should be living as a nation under God's rule. It was lost. For hundreds of years, no one has ever heard anything about it. It says here that while they were repairing the temple, while they were building the house of God, they found the book of the law. There is a spiritual truth in this. If we begin to build the house of God, then the word of God will come. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And then he gave it to Shaphan. And this is what Shaphan did. He took the book of the law to, uh, to the king, Josiah. And look at this. He reported to, uh, this is a bit of a humor. Humor of, of what uh, the writer is. In verse 16, Shaphan took the book of the king and reported to him. So imagine the case. Shaphan went to the king. And then the first thing... If Shaban knew the importance of this book of the law, that's the first thing he would have said. Like, hey, we found God's book! But no, what he did was this. Oh, by the way, your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They've paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord. And they've entrusted the supervisors of works. The building project is do doing fine. And then when he was about to leave, and then he said, Oh, by the way, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. Shaphan did not even know the importance of this book. He called it a book. He didn't say, the book. The book. This is the book. The Bible. This is God's word. No, Shaphan said, oh, by the way, uh, Hilkiah gave me a book. And then Josiah said, okay, read it to me then. And look at this verse 19. When the king heard the words of the law, he recognized it. He recognized it. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes out of reverence to the word of God. He bowed down 
And then he gave these orders to Hilkiah to go to the prophetess Huldah because he realized upon the reading of the book of the law how far they are from the standards of God. He repented. All the previous years, Josiah was doing great. He was doing good. But he repented in behalf of his people because he realized our generation is corrupt and we are ignorant of the word of God. Therefore, we are living a lifestyle that is completely opposite to what God says simply because we are ignorant of the word of God. Why? Because it was lost. There are many Christians today who are ignorant of the book. That's why we are living lives that are way below God's precepts. George Barna made a study, American churches. For all my American friends, this is not a hit on you, but this is just a reality. George Barna conducted a statistical study and found out that 80% of all the Christians in America are ignorant of the Bible. They don't even know Habakkuk. They don't know Zephaniah. They don't know Jeroboam or Rehoboam. They don't even know, they don't know Lydia. They don't know Haggai. What's Haggai? Is it possible that we have been Christians for so long and yet divorced with the Holy Book? Are you following me? This is the turning point of Josiah's reign as king because the following actions he took was now according to the instructions of the Lord. In number six, uh, he led the people back to God's word and they renewed, he renewed their covenant. Yeah, I can call on the worship team. He renewed the covenant relationship. Renewed the, co the covenant relationship with the people of God. Now, he led these people. The book, which is believed to be Deuteronomy, contains what we know is the covenant relationship of God with his people. And the people beginning to understand this unfailing love of God and the covenant relationship he wants to have with them Josiah now leads them to a recommitment. A recommitment. A recommitment of the nation of Israel to the God who loved them eternally. Amen. And that's what we as a church want each and every one of us to understand. God has a new covenant of love. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and God sent His only begotten Son, and this is what we have to understand. That covenant will not be broken on God's part, but we have our part to play. The last thing, number seven, is this. The last act that Josiah did as king of Judah was that he reestablished true worship. In 2 Chronicles chapter 35, it describes how Josiah reestablished you know, their celebration of the Passover and that living bread. It says in verse 18 of chapter 35, the Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel. Imagine that, 
For 340 odd years, there were no Passover celebration. It's just like there were no Sunday services. For 340 years, there are no worship services. Imagine that. And Josiah reestablishes worship at the heart of the nation of Judah. And it says there, this Passover was celebrated in the 18th year of Josiah's reign. He was 26 years old. He was 26 years old. And all this, he brought the people back to their true identity. Now, this is the big idea, church. Josiah's reformations in Judah led to the nation's revival. The nation, the whole nation returned to the Lord. And he was able to spare a whole generation from disaster. The impending judgment, it was held off because of Josiah's humility and submission to God's word. It says there in uh, in, the, in, in the verses in chapter 34 that the, the Lord said, because you've heard me, because you've heard me speak, because you humbled yourself and became responsive to my word, then I will spare you. Then I will spare you. Look at this. Just like the example of Josiah, number one, he sought the Lord. Number two, he pursued holiness and removed the idolatry. Number three, he restored the temple. Number four, he united God's people for the work. Number five, he rediscovered God's word. Number six, he led the people to repentance and renewal of covenant. And number seven, he reestablished through worship. Now all these seven marks are the marks of true revival. Church, if you have noticed in the past few weeks, in, in fact, in the past few months, and perhaps in the past few years, I, as your pastor, and all of the leadership of this church have done everything we have to bring you all back to the Word of God. To bring you all back to the knowledge and the understanding of the Holy Book. Because we know that's where true revival springs from. When we begin to understand, when we begin to understand the mind of God, when we begin to understand the heart of God, when we begin to know what is really truth and the truth that sets us free. And on an individual level, let me encourage and challenge you, church. It's not just on a corporate setting. Let me encourage and challenge you. Go back to the Bible. Rediscover His Word. Get to know His Word intimately and you will intimately enjoy your relationship with the Lord. A lot of Christians are not enjoying their relationship with God anymore because why? They have disengaged from knowing His heart and His mind. This Word. This Word. This Word. If you can't read, then listen. If you can't listen, then watch. There are so many ways to discover the heart of God nowadays, especially with technology involved. This book that we hold in our hands should be our most treasured possession. This book that you hold, have you ever stopped? Have you ever stopped and embraced your physical Bible right near your chest and wept and wept? and wept out of gratitude 
and said to the Lord, Thank God for your word. Thank God for your promise. Thank God for your instructions. Thank God for the hope that you bring through your word. Have you ever stopped and embraced your Bible? And just like Josiah, upon hearing the word of God, have you ever stopped and contemplated, God, my life doesn't look like that. Would you change me? Would you change me and let my life be conformed to the authority of your word? Father, we sang this song earlier and we said, Lord, we need a move. But Lord, we also say we need your word. We need your word. We need understanding of your word. Your, your word, Lord, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Without your word, we live in darkness. Without your word, we stumble in the dark. Oh God, we choose to know you more. And you are found in the pages of this holy book. Your presence, your word, your truth, your move. That revival come into the churches, not just JRM Sydney. Let revival come into the churches in all parts of the world. Let the word of God be rediscovered. Oh, let there be people who seek the Lord with all of their hearts wholeheartedly pursuing holiness and removing idols of their hearts. Let there be people restoring and building up the church. Let there be people uniting for the work of the kingdom. Let there be people who are truly repentant and renewing their covenant of love with the Lord. Let there be true worship. Let there be true worship. Oh, hallelujah. Let's worship the Lord, church. Oh, come on, sing your song. Raise your voice. Even in your homes, in your rooms. Oh, Thank you for joining us in today's episode and we hope that we will have you again in the next one. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance, His smile over you and give you peace. Shalom. God bless you.